Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Williamson. Matt, how's it been? Good. Been a little while since we chatted. Hope all's well with you. Yeah, yeah, it has been. Uh, things are good. I'm ready to jump back into our Dynasty team building series. We've got one of my buddies in the industry, George Criticos. George is over at 4 for 4. I think that's still correct. Is that right, George? That that is still right. Yeah, they kept me for a whole year. It's hard to believe. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> George does great work with four for four, and uh, and has built some very strong dynasty teams. And we want to hear how he's done it. Uh, so we we've really enjoyed these the the past couple versions of these. And uh, George, I know you're in a couple of my kitchen sink leagues and and many other leagues. I'm sh- uh, as well. I'm sure. So w- we just want to hear your overall thoughts about how you build strong dynasty teams. And we're going to start really with kind of the base of that, your general strategy when you're in a one quarterback startup dynasty draft. I mean, you know, I could say pure luck and we'll save an hour and a <laughs> half, but yeah. I can get into okay. it a little bit better than that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it, it's, you know, listening to the last couple, it was it was really interesting because you had two, um, you know, very strong dynasty players who had very different approaches, right? And, uh, and, and both very successful at it. Um, and I, I think the theme that I noticed, and, and I'll probably continue, is that we're all leveraging our strengths, right? We're trying to figure out what are the things that uh, we can exploit in different ways. And honestly, for me, it's, you know, it, it's preparation is kind of a huge thing for me and, and my background's analysis. So being able to come in with a very keen understanding of the league and the scoring and how that affects players and uh, who are those guys that I can be above or below consensus or ADP or whatever metric you want to use. I mean, those are the things that are those tools that help me kind of craft uh, you know, kind of my rankings and my general strategy, which is, you know, have, have my handful of targets early, go after them pretty aggressively, and then let the flow of the draft kind of uh, dictate where I go from there. You know, I like to have my first handful of rounds mapped out, and then I like to be able to uh, kind of flow into, you know, where I see the opportunities, whether that's opportunities because of the league scoring, the roster sizes, uh, how owners are reacting to the rest of the startup draft. I try not to tie myself up too much because I think you lose out on opportunities that the draft presents you if you just overtly plan uh, every last move you have or stick to just one strategy. George, you mentioned your background's analysis. Is that something you did in a different life? Is it something you studied in college? Like, What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. My my profession is, is in the analytics field, so I've been in kind of like retail and, and consumer packaged goods and uh, syndicated data and all these like fun things that um, just involve like huge data sets, involve kind of a lot of um, really fast moving analysis to uh, make really quick decisions. And so I think all that applies so much to, you know, what we do to those drafts, to those, especially the live drafts, right? When you have a minute and a half on the clock or less, depending on the type of league you're in, uh, you know, those things you have to react really quickly. Um, and I think, you know, my professional field prepares me pretty well for that and also allows me to, um, you know, walk in feeling confident and comfortable with, with whatever happens. Do you feel like that strategy has changed over the years? Have you, have you kind of come to this after years of playing dynasty? What did it look like at the beginning? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely have tried different, approaches and i think you know obviously different drafts and different rule sets and things will 
push you towards a strategy, right? Like if you're in a, a contract league, it's a little harder um, to do kind of a straight productive struggle, you know, because you know that your your contract years can be a lot more limited and that gives you kind of different time frames. You still do it. You just have to adapt it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's much different, you know, Ryan, uh, you know, and, the, and then, you know, zero RB is a good example, right. Of something that's been super popular. You had Sean on, obviously, you know, he, he's intimately familiar being the person who really popularized it. Um, but there's going to be league formats that are going to discourage that, you know, if, if it weights heavily towards, you know, pass catching and, um, certain bonuses and things like that. So, um, you know, I think after kind of being rigid in the beginning, I realized that there's kind of all these um, outliers that are going to kind of help you craft your strategy a little more specific to your league rather than um, come in with the same approach every time. And I know Kevin said, you know, he hadn't done productive struggle and then he decided to try it this offseason. And, and I think that's good, too. I think you have to kind of... Um, you know, be willing to, to go those different routes. And, and I'm sure he saw an opportunity to do it in that league and that, that probably helped um, push him in that direction. Uh, so I think, I think it's important just to feel comfortable being super uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. You know, it's like asking a girl out to prom, right? You got to feel super comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to look confident when you do it. And then when the seventh no comes around, that's okay. There's always the eighth time to get it right. And if you if you don't get butterflies, she's not the right girl. That's exactly right. <laughs> George, how can how can format impact that strategy? So if if we're switching to super flex or if we're some type of tight end premium or or maybe even a, a points per carry league, uh, are you expanding those handful of targets a little deeper? Are you still pretty much going with the flow of the draft? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely will change certain things. I mean, you, you mentioned super flex and tight end premium, right? That's going to push up certain positions, you know, pretty, pretty drastically, especially in the case of super flex, you know, versus like even something like the size of your roster, the number of starters can make a huge difference too. Like if I have a really shallow bench in a league, whether that's because I have to start most of my team or because uh, it's just a really shallow um, depth of, of roster. And, and so then as a result, you're, you're starting a decent number. That's going to totally change how I approach that draft. You don't have that ability to, you know, stash guys at the end of your bench the same way, you know, your waiver wire becomes much more robust. Uh, so those things are definitely going to change the way I approach and, and when I'm maybe going to take some of those chances on younger guys, you know, who are those type of younger guys that I'm willing to target? Does someone like Henry Ruggs become more valuable because I have a shallower roster and he's a guy with huge upside. Um, and knowing that I can't, uh, stash someone later in the draft who, you know, maybe has uh, big upside, but, but just, you know, is not going to be productive for a long time. You can't really roster some of those guys unless you're willing to really limit your ability to, to attack the waivers, to, um, accumulate draft picks, to do things like that. So I try to, I try to be, pretty cognizant of that whole thing yeah i did a super flex startup with uh with some people this off season and and you know normally i'm not a you know go after quarterbacks early type of guy but you know i had a top four pick and patrick mahomes is there so obviously i got to take him and then the next go around at the end of the second Dak prescott was there so i said okay I'll, I'll take those two things if they're gonna fall in my lap and then that changes how the rest of my draft went but if i was too rigid about it and said well i'll wait on my second quarterback or you know, this other guys here that, that I'm really targeting, you know, you're going to just lose out on something that might be more helpful. George, something I say a lot on this podcast is I have a, a habit, good or bad, 
of just collecting young tight ends. I always have five or six of them on my roster. But like you mentioned, I mean, if the format's a little bit smaller rosters, not only can I not do that, but maybe I got to just swip it, you know, change completely, go after Kittle or Kelsey earlier where I wouldn't have, you know, things like that. Yeah, totally. And and then, like, you have to ask yourself, if you are going to go after those young tight ends, like, maybe you would have gotten a third or a fourth in, like, a league that has 30-plus roster spots, yeah. but now you can't do that because you only have 24 or 22, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I know that's not necessarily the leagues we tend to play in, but... But those are pretty popular, you know, that size isn't, you know, uncommon. So, you know, I have a home league that's 24 roster spots. You start three quarterbacks, um, you know, two of them are super flex spots. Uh, So that makes a huge difference on how you approach it. And you only have 24 total roster spots. You know, you have to have at least three quarterbacks because, you know, the format is going to dictate that and and everything. So then suddenly your your bench of 12 spots becomes, you know, you have to have at least one more quarterback. You got to have, you know... Uh, you're going to probably have at least two tight ends. Uh, this league has a kicker and a defense too, so that cuts out two more spots. So then you get super, super thin, and then that's where, to your point, right? Like, how many of those young tight ends can I take a chance on before I start, you know, just completely, um, you know, strapping my roster for any depth? And of course, you know, maybe there's something on the waiver wire too. Then, yeah, and it's it, it's a great waiver right. wire. It's it's phenomenal because there's always going to be guys out there, and you cut down to. 18 before the draft and then you have your six rounds of rookie and and free agent picks and then there's still stuff always sitting out i think i got george kittle in the fifth round a couple years ago uh because someone cut him because they couldn't afford to keep him after like that rookie season and that's just you know unfortunately you have to do it let's kind of stick with the positional talk george what what's your overall game plan when it comes to those positions in in a dynasty startup It, it feels like you know, when, when you and I were kind of starting out in this space, it was all about wide receivers, uh, and, and that's that really helped to make zero running back a, a popular strategy not only in redraft but in dynasty leagues as well. But things have, have certainly shifted. So if you're in a, a, a startup draft today, are you grabbing running backs early? Are you um, kind of going away from that trend and, and still building around wide receivers? And, and then when are you looking to – to grab those onesie positions, quarterback and tight end. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the NFL has kind of told us that, you know, they don't really want to commit to too many running backs, so it makes the ones they do commit to super valuable. So if you have the opportunity to get them, you have to. Um, you know, whether that's obviously the top ones, right, like Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara and those, but even that next tier of, like, you know, Miles Sanders is, is a great example of someone. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like Josh Jacobs, but the team clearly is committed to him. You know, even if they don't commit to the receiving part of, of his offense, they're committed to him as a runner, and that alone, you know, makes him pretty valuable. Uh, you know, Austin Eckler and all those guys. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely have seen myself go after more running backs than I used to. Um, and then now wide receivers so much deeper because offensive offenses are featuring more receivers and we're not getting kind of all those Andre Johnson, you know, type of guys who are getting 150 plus targets every year and we can just totally just bank on those. I mean, there's still a few of them out there, you know, Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins, Devonta Adams, there's a handful, but I would say not every team has them anymore the way that maybe before there was that one guy that you knew, Hey, they're feeding him. No doubt about it. And just, I think we're kind of moving away from that and it just opens up the deck. Just the yeah. influx of young receivers every year that comes in the league is remarkable. Yeah. 
yeah, the talent's insane. I mean, and that, that probably has helped push them, which then in turn is pushing us. I think it's okay to, you know, go away from wide receiver, like super hard, super early and kind of hit it in those middle rounds because we're seeing so many of those guys who, you know, emerge, you know, even if they're not necessarily becoming the next Michael Thomas, they're still, you know, pretty valuable and can move up pretty, pretty easily. Um, obviously we we saw what happened with CD lamb in Dallas. And now suddenly we have three really good receivers. I think we're just going to see more of that, not less of it, you know? Yeah. And, and that forced, like you kind of alluded to it, that forces us, uh, to make tough decisions. You know, all, right. all of a sudden it looks like Michael Gallup is, is a guy you don't want on, on your roster, but I don't think that's actually the case. Uh, no. you know, I think we'll see all three of those receivers, be productive, maybe not in the same weeks, you know, that that's going right. to also make it more difficult on, on dynasty players. But I, I totally agree. We're, we're going to see more situations where teams are loading up at wide receiver because the depth is there. Yeah. I mean, tight end was that big mismatch for a while with, you know, Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates and all those guys. And it still exists today. But I also think, you know, a lot of teams tried to do it and we got excited about it and then it failed pretty miserably for a lot of them. <laughs> I think, Ryan, you were, you know, tweeting some of those like, you know, Ladarius Green type guys that yeah. we were all chasing and, you know, who's the next basketball player who's converting <laughs> to a tight end. And, you know, we, we tried really hard to, to, to make all those guys a thing. And, yeah, it's, it's not every offense going that way. And now that they're going more receiver heavy, we're not seeing as many tight ends get emphasized outside of maybe Philadelphia and a few other places. But, and to your, to your question before, I mean, for tight end, right? Like to, to, to what Matt was saying, you know, I like to chase the, the cheaper ones too. And there's always those guys like the Johnny Smiths and the Ian Thomases and, you know, all those type of guys, Blake Jarwin and, you know, who are going to at least give me one or two years worth of probably pretty good production before they, you know, figure out that they're just probably average to slightly above average tight ends in terms of talent, but they'll get enough volume to make it work. But you mentioned George Kittle a minute ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's very true. Just got to find the ones that turn into Kittle. That's all. That's <laughs> right. really easy. Nothing, yeah. nothing to e- it. Easy enough. Yeah. George, what what is your pre-draft preparation look like? You're you're ready to start a, a a startup dynasty draft or or an auction, perhaps so whatever you prefer. What does that preparation for you look like? Like, what are you doing? Are you are you mock drafting? Are you studying ADP? Are you? I think it was uh, Sean mentioned that he's he's really studying the other owners in the league, not just not just the NFL players, which I thought was an interesting point. What are you doing to prepare? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one thing I've kind of changed on over the years has been being a little bit more um, immediate time frame focused. So I'll go to like four for four and pull out the rankings, you know, and the the projections that they have. I'll apply my league rules to it if it's vastly different from, you know, kind of a standard PPR scoring or something like that. If like Scott Fishbowl is a good example of something that's a little wacky, right? So you kind of have to um, plug in the scoring to see what that looks like. And then I start to kind of look for like outliers and different trends. So like, for example, in Scott Fishbowl League, you know, he gives negatives for incompletions, you know, interceptions have a pretty big negative value. So then suddenly more accurate, safe quarterbacks become a little more valuable. Derek Carr becomes much more of a reasonable uh, option as opposed to Josh Allen becomes a little less reasonable because he's going to take a few more risks and uh, he's not going to be a guy who's going to complete 65% of his passes, you know, in a typical year. 
Um, so I try to look for those type of things. Uh, and then, you know, I use my own dynasty ranks. I, I try to separate, you know, I have them separated into tiers and, you know, obviously you can take someone else's if, if you're not making your own, which, you know, most normal people aren't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, and, and then I try to apply those outliers to those tiers to say, okay, Derek Carr is, let's say more valuable in this league setting. I may not move him up from tier four to tier two or something. It's probably not going to be that crazy, but he suddenly rises a few spots and maybe he's at the top of that tier instead of the bottom of that tier. Or maybe he's, you know, at least a consideration a little sooner than I would have, or, um, you know, if, if they're big play bonuses, right. Then guys like Tyreek Hill become much more valuable versus, you know, someone like Michael Thomas, who's not necessarily a, you know, 40 plus yard type guy. Um, not to say I'm ever putting Tyreek over Michael Thomas, but I think, you know, he becomes much closer. Um, he closes the gap a little more. So I try to do some of that too. And then I'm not a mock draft person cause I'm a big believer in getting the biggest sample size I can. So I try to take like, like ADP from DLF. I try to take ADP from MFL for like rookie drafts and things like that. And just say, I'd rather have a thousand drafts worth of knowledge than one mock draft that maybe had a really weird owner that did some crazy things in this mock draft because he knew it was a mock draft. Uh, so I try to marry all that up together. And then again, like kind of see where am I above or below some of those like ADPs and, you know, kind of understand why that's the case. Um, and I do know some of the guys that I'm much higher or lower on than others. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is a guy I'm never going to be on. Um, the same page with everyone else. I'm just probably about up round lower than everybody is. That's good stuff. In one of these conversations the last few weeks, I mentioned, hey, you know, like you said, people aren't going to create their own tiers, a lot of our listeners, but you can find great ones out there. Go find Evan Silva's or whoever you want. And I would just look at each tier and say, who in this tier doesn't look like the others to you? You know, like, boy, he's not good enough to be in this tier. Put him in italicis, you know, and or this guy's better than everybody else in this tier. Put him in bold. Just doing that little bit will give you a leg up when the draft rolls around. Yeah, I mean, something I did, and this was a long time ago, or, you know, relatively speaking, you know, we had a home league in college, and I used to just buy the same draft book, like 10 of them, and put them on the table, and I knew <laughs> what everyone's awesome. rankings were as a result. Right, right, right. And then I would highlight in my book, you know, here's who I like better than this ranking is. So I knew who I could reach a little bit sooner on. Here's the guys I could wait a little bit more on. Um, you know, so it's the same idea, right? You know, everyone's going to use like Evan's rankings or, you know, dynasty is Ryan and, and a few other people's rankings, you know, kind of those more popular ones. So why not take those and say, okay, you know, I agree with Ryan here. I, I, you know, I like DJ Moore more than he does, or I like, you know, Aaron Rodgers more than he does. And I like, I dislike this person more and, and be able to highlight those and say, okay, you know, these might be some guys I can target at certain points. Boy, George is such a nice guy. He gave us all magazines. <laughs> right? Explores two fifty each, and meanwhile, you have the yeah. you have the cheat sheet in front Both of you. Discount. Right? <laughs> I bought ten of them. They're cheaper. That's that so way. smart, <laughs> uh, folks. Real quick, I've told you often about Harry's, and I know these are tough times, and money is tight for people. But listen to this: How much could you save in one year from switching to Harry's? Enough to buy twenty six cups of coffee in New York City. Enough to buy three deep dish pizza dinners in Chicago. Enough to buy to pay six months of your Netflix subscription. So how's that working out? Well, Harry's delivers high quality razor blade as low as two dollars each, a fraction of the price of the leading brand, saving you hundreds of dollars over time. And I've told you guys many times I switched to Harry's years ago because my skin was so sensitive 
that I could only use an electric before I found Harry's, and I'll never stop. So if you want to get involved, get a, a Harry's trial set delivered to your doorstep by going to harrys.com slash dynasty. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at an extremely fair price. Like I said, just $2 a blade. They've cut out the middleman, manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's being honed precision blades for centuries. Uh, they're super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule, with or without a subscription. Harry's has all your grooming needs covered in one stop. You can get blades, hair care, shower products, all at harrys.com. And just like their blades, Harry's is committed to providing premium products without breaking the bank. And feel a little bit better about your purchase. 1% of proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping people access better mental health care for men and veterans. So to, so, to support those who need it most right now, Harry's is donating $1 million worth of shaving supplies to hospitals across the U.S. That's pretty awesome. So, listeners of our, listeners of our show can redeem their trial set, like I told you, at, at harrys.com slash dynasty, and you get a weighted, wonderful, ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, it smells great, and a travel cover blade to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So go to harrys.com slash dynasty. George, you talked about your draft strategy at the beginning of the show, basically being flexible, maybe having a few targets in mind. So when the draft actually begins, how do you go about executing that? I guess first I would I would want to know, with those those early targets, how aggressive are you? Are you trading up to get those, or what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think uh, I think Kevin spoke about it a little bit on the last one. You know, he has kind of what is it about four rounds? You know, he kind of starts to see a bit of a drop off. I, I feel the same way, and, and so I tend to be a little more aggressive in those first four rounds. Uh, whether that's to get that additional pick, I think he mentioned that as well, or or to move around, whether it's up or down, because. You know, I, I really try to understand who are in my tiers in those early parts and knowing that I have a pretty big cliff at a certain point. Um, and then comparing that against kind of, you know, certain guys that I think can fall a few rounds later that I maybe see as a top 50 guy, but someone else, you know, the, the league probably won't. Um, so so I'm, I'm pretty aggressive early on. Um, I hate the idea of settling in the first four rounds. That feels super demoralizing. Uh, so I would prefer not to, to do that if possible. You know, it's, you, you don't want to settle early on in life because then the rest of it's not going to be that great. So same idea with the draft. Uh, you know, and then I think the other big thing for me is like really gauging the other owners. Because if, if you're in a league, I mean, obviously, if you're in a home league, you know your, your friends, you know, but you don't necessarily know their tendencies when it comes to things like this. So I really try to throw out a lot of trades, see who responds, see who's countering, see who's being active. Um, you know, I'll talk to people during the draft like, oh, you know, I like your team so far. See what they say, you know, because then maybe I can circle that one guy that they pick that they're kind of a little wishy-washy on. They felt maybe they needed to pick it because they were in that spot, you know. So, uh, you know, in that in that super flex I mentioned, um, you know, I grabbed the two quarterbacks early. I ended up with Amari Cooper and Miles Sanders through four rounds along with the two quarterbacks. And then later I was able to trade for Juju Smith-Schuster um, because the owner really just wasn't feeling that pick. So I was able to come back, you know, get give up some future picks, give up some some startup picks. And I was I was fine doing that because he's a guy I really like. I know I like him more than most. 
present company excluded. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was the right, it was the right move for me. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the type of thing I try to do is always, um, feel comfortable, uh, pivoting a little bit. I don't know if you guys watch parks and recreations at all, but there's the episode where, um, uh, Aziz Ansari's character is learning basketball and he learns how to pivot, but then that's all he starts doing. You don't want to be that guy necessarily, but it's okay to pivot once in a while. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my general approach. Go aggressive early, understand where those cliffs are, and then jump back in, you know, when you feel like there's that guy that you really want to have, I think at the end of the day, you need to get the guys that you're excited about. Cause you're more likely to be patient with them if they don't hit right away. Good point. Do you need a co-owner on that team, George? that that sounds that sounds like my kind of team yeah i know um so so you kind of mentioned it there a little bit um but uh, would you say you're typically more likely to trade up or trade down in a startup draft yeah i mean i trade up early and then as my tiers get like much wider you know like you know like when you're doing your top 200 rankings suddenly like tier nine is like 45 players (laughs) yes so so then it's like, okay, well, I have a few rounds to play with here, and I feel pretty comfortable that most of these guys are kind of in the same ballpark. So I can trade back, you know, trade that pick off and trade back a few rounds. And then if I know that there's someone who slips or someone that I might want to come back up for, I could always do that again. You always have that option. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. That kind of makes me think about, you know, trade offers. I, I don't get these too often anymore, luckily, but uh, I think about, early playing dynasty you get that trade offer that you you drop maybe from you know round two to round four and then you're getting a bump from round 12 to 10 and and the other you know the other party thinks that that might be fair you know you're moving up two rounds you're dropping down two rounds but talking about the the depth of those tiers is is other than the obvious what makes that uh, a, a pretty poor offer those earlier picks are not only more valuable because that's where the better players are, but because your tiers are so much smaller, you're not just moving down two rounds. You might be, you might be moving down three or four tiers in those two rounds. Right. I'm sure you guys yeah. know where the dead spots are. And when you make those early trades, I'm going to trade my dead spot rounds. Yep. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a huge part of it. And that goes back to, uh, for me, at least that goes back to the, the preparation piece that George was talking about finding those dead spots, finding those, those hot spots where you want multiple picks and, and trading into those trading out of those dead spots. Yeah, definitely. George, let's move into the rookie draft. Some, some good stuff there about the startup draft and, and your plans there. Um, the other, of course, big activity in the off season is rookie drafts in those, in those established leagues. As you lead into a rookie draft, are you collecting future picks or are you the owner that's trading them away for some win-now assets? Yeah, I mean, I I tend, if I'm going to add future picks, it tends to be part of a deal that also gets like something existing as well. So like I traded, I I, I took over an orphan this offseason in a one quarterback league uh, that had made the playoffs and had won the title a few years ago. Um, but it had DeAndre Hopkins on it, which I, I just I'm I'm not as sold as everyone else is with Arizona. Um, so I, I traded him off for uh, basically DeAndre Swift and a 2021 first. And for me, that was that was perfect value because it gives me you know someone I'm really into, which is Swift. It gives me a future asset, which is great, and it you know takes someone off my team that I wasn't as sold on, uh, and I was able to to 
you know, trade for Jarvis Landry later on. And that kind of filled that hole in the lineup anyway, um, with a guy who's similarly aged and, um, you know, in the scoring format was only about two points per game worse. So, you know, for me, the, the, the overall cumulative value was much better. So I only usually go for future picks. If it's part of a bigger deal, I'll trade them away. If I feel like there's a good opportunity there, um, you know, but I'm more likely to like move around, I guess, in a, in a draft, like up or down, as opposed to, um, completely trade out or completely trade in. When do you feel like, uh, you said you don't buy rookie picks too often, but I'm sure you've made observations in your league. When, when do you feel like is the best time to buy those rookie picks? Yeah. So, I mean, I think Sean made a good point. He said at the beginning of the NFL season, I totally agree. That's a great time to buy, you know, everyone thinks, you know, that's when everyone's the most optimistic, yeah. you know, that their team's going to do well, except for like the two teams at the bottom, but like the other 10 are thinking, you know, at least playoffs, right? Otherwise uh, you're probably not doing very well. And they would see how their guys can do or the guy they missed out on, you know, they'll right. get a pick for them, you know? Yeah. No one wants to think that their pick is going to be the bottom three <laughs> right, pick, right. you know? So other than maybe the like one or two people who, you know, took over an orphan or did a productive struggle or something like that, there's a couple who are cognizant enough, but I'd say most don't think that way. Um, the other time, which I think maybe feels a little counterintuitive is when the pick is actually on the clock. Um, and the reason I think that is because it's the most certain you can be about what player that pick becomes. Mm. Um, so you know, in that case where I traded DeAndre Hopkins off, I traded it for the 107, which sounds crazy because, you know, the 107 in a 2021 first doesn't sound nearly as good as DeAndre Swift in a 2021 first. Right, uh, right. But I, the 107 was on the clock. I knew it was going to be DeAndre Swift if I had the pick. Um, and to me, DeAndre Swift closes the gap much better than the 107 does. So an hour before you wouldn't have made the trade, but the, right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. So like that certainty of knowing who the guy is, can make that trade much more valuable than, you know, cause people are still thinking about it as the one Oh seven. They're not thinking about it as Deandre Swift. Um, so that, that value difference is pretty, pretty drastic. Like if you're in a startup draft and the one Oh seven is, you know, part of that draft versus, you know, Deandre Swift is part of that startup draft. Deandre Swift is going several rounds before a, a, a generic one Oh seven would go in a draft. So that difference in value to me is a, is a kind of an opportunity to exploit the market. So that's why I think when a pick is on the clock, it can be a huge opportunity to buy if there's that right guy on the board. When you're in a rookie draft, George, are you are you focusing on your team needs or are you just taking the best player available? I would say I'm almost always taking the best player available. Um, sometimes it works out. Yeah. You get your team need too. <laughs> that's the dream. But But that doesn't seem to happen as much as you want it to. Yeah, I guess I find myself certainly early in the draft taking best player available, right? Not yeah. not worrying about if my strength is wide receiver or running back. But then in, in the later rounds, third, fourth round, I actually it, it, it kind of sounds weird because you count on those players less in general, but maybe if I need a young quarterback or I need a young tight end, that, that kind of becomes a tiebreaker for me in the in the later rounds. So yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think in in the one quarterback uh, orphan I took over, it was you know rookies and and free agents, and I think I took Blake Jarwin in like the fourth round oh, yeah. 
because I had no backup to George Kittle. It was Cahill Waring was my next tight end. <laughs> That's a pretty steep drop off. So, you know, getting Blake Jarwin in the fourth to me was like, okay, I can, you know, I can start him in a spot. I can, you know, if Kittle gets injured, I'm not going to be completely submarined. And yeah, I, I passed on a few rookies, but that was a time where I thought need kind of, you know, trumped best player. George, do you ever take the mindset going into a rookie draft like, okay, I have five picks in the first four rounds. One of them needs to be a tight end or one of them needs to be a quarterback. I never do because I think of it as, well, we have our rookie draft in May. I have three or four months to find that tight end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not going in thinking like one of these picks needs to be a tight end or or a quarterback or whatever you're you're looking for. Um, but I'd use it as ammunition to move up if I felt like that guy at that position was the best player available. Sure. Like that to me makes sense. When it sense. meshes, you know, right, if, when you get both. Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. If, you know, you're, you're to a fan and he drops to 105 and a super flex and you need a quarterback, I mean, you're paying through the nose, you know, I'll overpay to go get him because I need him. He's the best guy available. And, you know, it's, it's well worth and it. And to your point earlier, you would pay much more for that 105 with Tua sitting there than you would have exactly. two hours before when the draft started. Right, 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 totally. And, and, and you know it's worth it in yeah. that case versus overpaying, you know, because it's the day of the draft and not the actual pick. George, this has been probably my favorite conversation of the, the previous episodes we've done. In that rookie draft, what do you find is more important to you, short-term production or long-term value? And, and I've, I've been saying this feels like a wide receiver versus running back debate, right? Like, and I, I think it, it might be a little more different or a little different with uh, the running backs at the top this year because I think for the most part they're, they're viewed not only as um, players that are in, in just good position to succeed, but also players who could – be the next Kamara, Elliott, right? Like they could be the the next set of elite running backs. But then I think about late in the first round, like a Keyshawn Vaughn versus, uh, you know, T. Higgins discussion. We we probably expect Vaughn to outscore Higgins that in 2020, maybe 2021 as well. But Higgins, I think most people would agree Higgins is the guy with a more long-term value. So in, in that type of situation, what are you doing there? And does it matter how good your team is at the time? Yeah, those are both good questions. I think the one the one I've been grappling with the most has been Justin Jefferson, and and you know because he's an immediate production guy. Andy was a first rounder, um, and you compare him against, you know, T. Higgins is a great example, right? Not not drafted too far after, but clearly has a, a greater path to get to. Um, you know, you know, production, especially immediate production. But I prefer T. Higgins' talent over Justin Jefferson. So like, how do you weigh those things out? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. So the, the, the way I try to look at it is, um, you know, I did, I did a study a few years back for DLF where I looked at, um, career production and what does that mean in terms of, um, you know, how valuable a guy can be. So for example, Amari Cooper, I think was a rookie that year, and I said, okay, he's going to be a really, really, really good receiver. I think most people agreed at the time he was going to be a very good receiver. So let's assume he takes a very good receiver path, right? He gets some top 12 finishes, a lot of top 24 finishes. He's very good. How does that compare to someone like at the time, Antonio Brown, who was in the midst of historic numbers, but he's already, I forget, he was like around 26 maybe at the time. So let's say he's got five more years, which 
wasn't true in retrospect, but <laughs> crazy. Uh, <laughs> right right we call that the uh the independent variable right right? that's the (laughs) that's the x factor so so you know what i found was those extra years of production from amari cooper was roughly worth like the remaining production of antonio brown so immediate production is is definitely a huge thing and and in the case of you know antonio brown it it was and with Keyshawn vaughn same thing but i feel like Vaughn is a good example of someone who's going to drop off really quick. I just don't see how he, uh, you know, is a, a starter maybe beyond two years at the most. I just don't think the talent's there versus someone like Justin Jefferson, where I think he could be pretty good. So then it becomes much harder to justify T. Higgins over Justin Jefferson versus T. Higgins over a Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah. Um, so I try to, you know, immediate production and talent obviously are first and foremost. I would love to get, you know, great guys who are going to have a clear role. That's why some of the guys at the top are the guys at the top. But I would rather take a talented guy who has to wait a year than an untalented guy who's going to, or I don't want to say untalented, that's not fair, less talented, um, who's who's has a spot short term. Like, I don't dislike Vaughn, but I had a lot of picks in my rookie drafts right in the neighborhood he's going. Didn't take him anywhere. Yeah. Just because even if I had the perfect team minus an RB2, I still am going to take one of those. I'm going to take Mims over. You know what I mean? I'm going to. I mean, there's just other guys. Yeah. This, yeah. To me, it's not even a consideration. Yeah, and I, and honestly, I think if 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 that's the piece you're missing, you know, why not be more aggressive and move up for the guy you really want, whether it's Acres yeah, or you know, uh, you know, Swift or, or Taylor, whoever it is that you really want to chase. Like, why not be more aggressive and do that than you know? Or- Trade it go, for a veteran. Go down the road you know, to, right. to Vaughn. Yeah, settle. Yeah. Settle, right. right? Yeah, yeah, settle again. George, during the rookie draft, and, and you kind of alluded to this already, it, it sounds like you'd like to to move up and down to grab those targets. Uh, are you are you trading up for those elite assets, or do you prefer multiple shots? And, and I'm, again, I know this year maybe is different, but in, in a yeah. typical year. Yeah, I mean – you know, I, I, it's kind of like the startup draft. Like if I see that, that clear kind of, you know, here are the four guys or the, in this case, this year, it's, it's a little bit wider, six or seven guys who I feel like I'm pretty confident are going to be very good players. I'll be aggressive to move up into that tier if I can. And if I can't, then I think Matt was talking about it on one of the episodes where he's like, yeah, I'm going to take four or five shots in like the second round. And to me, that makes more sense than sitting at, 110 or 111 when you know 203 or 204 is pretty similar you know I, I've moved back a lot into the 203 204 range to get you know a LaVisca Chenault or um, uh, Brandon Ayuk from from the 49ers like those guys are slipping into the early second and I don't feel like they're much lower than the Mims or the Rugs or the Higgins or those guys they're all kind of lumped together for me so why not take the extra shots if I can move 210 into 203 and 205 right. or something why right. not? This isn't something we've brought up before, but George, in a rookie draft, you know, everyone's excited to make their pick. If there's that guy in your league that takes like twelve to twenty hours per pick, is it okay <laughs> to drive to his house and beat the crap out of him? <laughs> yeah, so I'm in a I'm in a home league and uh and, and we always have that guy. Right. He, he has never shown it has been a live draft every year, he's never shown up, so it's always oh, like no. we have a Google sheet open just for it's him. Worse. Uh, and I live in Vermont now, and they're all in Chicago. So I'm going to make that 16-hour drive and probably beat him to that pick <laughs> in order to go to his house and make sure that, that he, he turned something in. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, 
it, you know, some people are like, oh, it's an opportunity for trades and things you like that. you got to have some common courtesy. Uh, I think that's too, somewhat though. true, yeah. but I also like the pressure of, of, you know, having to make that decision in a shorter window because that will make people, you know, really think hard and, and also just kind of act. Yeah, I mean, you got to have some courtesy. You can't be that guy that like, oh, I'll, I'll get to it after my eight-hour shift. They're like, come on, man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we have technology for pre-drafts and for for mobile apps and stuff. I think you can right. find. And you saw to, it coming. You could have made tra- tra- you know trade yeah. talks before yeah. you were actually on the clock. What I'm up right. already, <laughs> folks. By now, most of you probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team just like an NFL man- general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go see what all the buzz in the dynasty community is about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and so much more. think that sounds complicated. Trust me, it's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite, which I bet a lot of you do for listening to the show. Well, this is a platform to test your mettle. If you're still not sure, you can test your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use our promo code BLUEPRINT, all one word, to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. George, you have referenced a couple of our uh, previous episodes that uh, that we've done here, so I, I can tell you know what's coming here. We this this is going to be a two parter. We've we've jammed so much information into this series that uh, e- each episode so far has been two parts. I think this one is going to be the same. So we have covered uh, startup draft strategy, rookie draft strategy here in this first part. Uh, we would love to welcome you back and talk about uh, some trade strategy, some general team management, some other things. Uh, if that works for you. It always works for me. Awesome. Happy to. Awesome. So uh, before we wrap up today, go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you and your work. Yeah, you find me on 4 for 4, Twitter at Rotohack, and uh, yeah, it's in in Vermont. So so that's pretty much it. Yeah. So you can find me physically. You can find me digitally. You can find my writing. I mean, you got you got all the bases covered. Just don't be that guy that sits on the clock all day, George. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Thanks, George. uh, And thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more George and more Dynasty Blueprint.